I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Pat Bamford around the keeper and goal of the podcast. Is there anything he can't do? And I'm joined by Tom Alderson, the Calvin Phillips through ball that got him there of the podcast. Oh, well, that's pretty nice, isn't it? And finally, the whatever noise it was that Chelsea fans were making yesterday of the podcast. <laughs> it's only Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I think it was a kookaburra they were doing. I think it, I think it was a avian life forms of the southern hemisphere that they were going <laughs> for. Um, and I don't, I don't have a lot sensible to say uh, about how I'm doing, so I think I'll just go, ah, 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 and leave it at that. That's pretty close to what they were doing. Yeah. Tom Alderson, how are you? I'm fine. I'm, I'm ready for another podcast in which we've lost and try and hopefully be calm head amongst the, <laughs> the Leeds Twitter fans who have all seemed to have lost theirs. We go again, we go again. <laughs> so let's begin with the uh, perennial question that we always begin with on this podcast. How did that feel? Who wants to jump in with uh, with this exciting uh, topic? I, I can try. I, I think it's... I expected to lose anyway. And the only reason I think I'm so annoyed by it is because it's Frank Lampard that's the manager. If, it, if we'd lost 3-1 to Chelsea and it'd been Mourinho, I'd have been like, that's fine, move on, we'll play West Ham on Friday. It's just because I can't stand Frank Lampard. That's the only problem with it. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah, I agree with Tom. I, I think I think they've got the probably the best collection of players in the division. And I, I think when you come up against that level of talent, you're always going to struggle, particularly when you know, you're know kind of effectively looking at largely the same team that got us up from the championship, largely a lot, a lot of whom really struggled in the championship for a lot of time before Bielsa came along. And I think for me, it's just a game which brought about a bit of perspective about the journey we've been on uh, as a club and where we are now. And I think there's, there's, there, there is a clear golfing quality between our squad and that of, that of Chelsea. Now, we're not going to bridge that quickly, obviously, but I think over time, I think we, we need to you know, we need to benchmark against against clubs like that and start start thinking about how we can we can kind of increase the the overall talent level of our squad and and, and repair some of the glaring deficiencies which are there, which I'm sure we'll get on, onto in due course. 
Yeah, it's an interesting game um, from from a tactical point of view. Um, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that it's annoying that it's Lampard, and and it is. What I would say is that actually there's been a few managers who've caused Bielsa problems who I wouldn't think of as being particularly astute tacticians. So I think, for example, of someone like Scott Parker as well. Um, yeah. What I find interesting about Scott, the, 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 the correlation between Scott Parker and Frank Lampard is that both of those managers actually have their teams drilled in quite good presses. Um, and beyond that, in attacking phases, they don't really have any sort of structured attacking play. And... That for the for the most part that will cause them problems. We've seen Fulham have struggled to score in the Premier League. We've seen Chelsea probably not scoring as many as they should, given the the, the squad that they have. And I think that comes down to the fact that when you when you play against uh, other teams, they'll often have a very structured defensive system that Chelsea will struggle to break down because they don't have the the attacking. Um, uh, routines and the attacking now that is given to them by the manager to be able to do that. When so, they come up against a team like Leeds, I feel as though the tactic is a lot more based around the idea of one dribbling to try and lose your man marker, yeah, and two going quite direct when you can. And those two things cause Leeds a lot of problems in defensive transition, and it worked out quite well for Chelsea yesterday. So it's it's interesting because it feels as though a game where you can be fairly tactically open like this will suit someone like Frank Lampard in an attacking sense, uh, which isn't to take away from how good their press was yesterday, but that's just my that's just my overall take on the tactics of the game yesterday. So I think I think basically what you were saying is that the difference between Frank Lampard and Scott Parker is about half a billion pounds worth of playing talent <laughs> on the pitch. <laughs> something like that yeah. <laughs> yeah now don't get me wrong like coaching and and there's lots of things that come into this right we talk we can talk about leads being weak from set pieces and there's a lot of people saying well you know in terms yeah. of open play what did we what did they really create i mean which i think is disingenuous because as we'll see later they it created is. a lot from yeah. open play uh, but also like creating from set pieces is a part of the game and you know that will there will be games this season that we lose to set piece xg and like i don't care whether or not it's open play or not we're still going to concede those goals yeah um anyway let's 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 move on and with that in mind i don't want to sort of take away how well chelsea did press yesterday um but let's just just get into it. So we had a couple of questions um, just about the basic tactics then. So Richard Lang says, was today simply a case of quality showing through man for man with nothing tactically wrong? Um, Stevie says, has Lampard worked out that if you get all midfielders to run at us with the ball, we struggle? There were similarities to that playoff semi as the man-to-man marking broke down and we looked confused in our pressing. Um, obviously, I, I would agree with that. Does anyone want to add add to any of that stuff? I just think any, any player with, with individual ability who's able to, to beat his individual man or is able to get a run on his individual man is going to cause us problems. And it just so happens that Chelsea have got about six people who are capable of doing that. Um, and and they, they really did um, kind of break, us, break our marking system down and break our pressing down repeatedly throughout the game, including in the first half when we were just about in the game, but, but, but more in the second half when, when it really just became one-way traffic with... with you know, starting right from Kante, really him bursting past Clicker, you know, countless times and and threading mm. good balls to um to Mason Mount and and whoever was alongside him, um, Havertz and yeah, so they were always going to cause us problems if they were able to do that, and and they were very much able to do that right from the back. We had a good question actually from Leeds are going up who said after the 2-1 goal they laid back and defended with wingers wide so we couldn't play the triangles wide as we used to. Kante in the centre mark for the wide people so we couldn't get through the middle. Um, agree? Um, and adds also we can't defend corners. We'll talk about corners later but I think this is fairly astute. I think actually the change happened at half time. 
Um, we've I've talked a lot anyway on this podcast about how we really struggle when teams press us in advanced wide areas. Um, any manager who can get a, his team pressing in a way that will help in the first half, I thought we got we got through them qu- quite easily in wide areas. There's a few nice build-ups on the right with Rafinha and, and Ailing, and and uh, obviously Click comes over and helps there. And I think in the second half, Lampard just sort of dropped everyone a little bit. Um, got his got Kante sort of covering. Um, in the in the middle pressing across he had the then the two wingers and the two central midfielders as well pushing in so you'd have on say on the left you would have Chilwell you'd have Kante coming across you'd have Mason Mount and then you'd have um either um I guess it was um Pulisic or or Werner depending on what what time in the game it was they were all dropped in helped out and, and pressed in those wide areas deep and as a result of that Leeds just couldn't maintain possession in those areas in the way that they could in the first half Absolutely, but I, th- I think that kind of really highlights how how kind of we we do become much more one dimensional and, and much more predictable when Rodrigo is not on the pitch because it means that all of our threat is going to come effectively from out from out wide and there's only really click in the middle who is really capable of providing any any attacking threat. So if if Rodrigo is not there, we are we are really going to struggle, I think, against teams who 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 are able to kind of drop um, people out out wide in the way you just described to stop. Harrison to stop Rafinha to stop Paveda and Costa. Uh, we had a, another question from Mike Turetsky that was quite um, instructive. I think it's he says it seems we are excellent against teams who play a mid press, but against the low press teams, e.g. Leicester and Palace and high presses like Chelsea last night, we either fail, fail to find a way through or panic getting out of defence. Do you agree? Why hasn't Bielsa countered this? Tom Alderson, what's your take on this? I think the the low press teams we've seen for a couple of years now, we saw that a lot of the championship and the high press was kind of highlighted again. Like I was thinking yesterday, how I haven't sort of seen Leeds play like this since the Barnsley game at the end of last year, and how we struggle with the high press in that game. And I think for me, the reason we struggle mainly with well, with the high press teams, we've talked about the low press teams a lot, is this system that Bielsa has got is taken as far as he can with the plays he's got, I feel. Like, we sure yesterday, I think that was like the limits of the system compared to what the players that Chelsea had. So, it's just, we, if, if a team presses us, we just don't have, sometimes just don't have the quality of players on the ball to deal with that all the time. Yeah, totally agree. I agree, but I think when 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 Cleek is playing the the deeper of the two eights, he will often drop in to get to give um, to give the centre out and to give Calvin and give the fullbacks a different option for the for the ball. But I think I think when he's playing the more advanced role, we lose a bit of that kind of tactical intelligence and now some kind of in game awareness, which which he definitely brings to the to, to the deeper eight position. What I would say yesterday is that I felt we played a different formation to the one we usually played in the sense that it seemed to me more like Dallas was playing as a in a double pivot with Phillips. Um, obviously, he was pushing forward a little bit more. Uh, we had a question from Adam Michael Finney who said, do you see Leeds moving to a 4-2-3-1 shape against a classic 4-3-3 similar to Bielsa's Bilbao? If so, what advancement, advancements do players need, e.g. Bamford growing into more of a uh, Fernando Llorente-style uh, target, Pervader in the Munion role, uh, etc.? Or is Bielsa's Leeds hybrid 4-1-4-1 the end result? Um, I think yesterday it effectively became that 4-2-3-1 because, just because Chelsea have two really attacking players in Havertz and Mount in their double pivot, in, yeah. in their in their two eights um in in their um yeah in their 433 and it felt to me anyway like um Dallas was playing a little bit deeper um and I wondered whether or not we had another question as well actually further on 
um, where which I thought was interesting from Nye Canham, who said, has Bielsa become too defensive and reactive, uh, which I think is is interesting because I felt maybe yesterday we were a little bit too respectful of Chelsea, perhaps, and it meant that we lost a little bit in terms of actual being actually being able to transition. Um, the the correlate I think is Man- the Manchester City game where we did play that four one four one, and we had Rodrigo um, really helping us to uh, transition the ball in the in the second um, well in, in the second half of the second half whenever it was that Rodrigo came on, um, and I think that's what we're missing when we play someone like Dallas. Yes, we may have a little bit more of defensive solidity, um, but actually in terms of the defensive issues that we had I didn't feel as though the issues were us necessarily having to deal with attacking players through the middle I felt it was more the issue was more that we were losing the ball in advanced areas in easy positions for them to then turn that into a counter-attack um, so does anyone have any thoughts on that maybe I, I, it, instinctively it feels to me as though that's a ridiculous thing because I don't think people think of Bielsa being reactive and too defensive but it felt a little bit to me yesterday like the tactical decisions per personnel were made on that basis well we'll play Alioski in the left back area we'll play Stuart Dallas to give a little bit more cover in the middle um, when really actually I feel as though our issues in the Premier League have been an inability to contain possession um, but yeah I'm interested to hear what you guys think of this Darren you must have thoughts on this yeah I've not really thought about it in those terms before because I guess I'd thought about it in terms of he'd chosen Dallas and, and Alioski largely because they've they've played the last two games in which we've performed very well and I think I think what whatever we say about Bielsa I do think he is often loath to change something that he sees as something that's working um so I, I don't necessarily see that da- Dallas was chosen um deliberately to play uh, in a kind of double pivot I think it was just more a, a, a kind of byproduct of Chelsea pushing pushing their men much much further their two eights much further forward as we as as you described there so but but I kind of agree with you I I think for us to be at our best we we really need to commit commit to our style and, and be pushing our attacking game onto other people and and we weren't able to do that at any stage really yesterday and I think in order to do that we really do particularly against teams who are going to going to push high and who want to make who kind of want to make it a transitional game if you like then I, I really do think we need Rodrigo on the pitch to kind of really give us give us that out ball give us those options to, to maintain possession to use this kind of movement and tactical intelligence to drag people around in ways that just didn't happen yesterday. Tom do you have any thoughts on this? With Dallas, I was more surprised that he didn't play at left back to because he was playing having ZH there was very similar to where Rodriguez last week. Um, so I thought like Dallas would have been left to mark him, but if you're leaving him midfield to play in a double pivot, I do think it gives the impression of being more defensive and um, which we we haven't seen from Bielsen before. But I completely agree with what both of you are saying that we are better um, with Rodrigo on the pitch and it just helps us control the game more. I feel. Yes, this is the thing I think about uh, Bielsa's football is that so much of it is is sort of um, there's so much tensions I think, and it's always we need to realise that so much of, of like one thing can impact another thing yeah. maybe on, on unexpectedly. So, for example, we're talking about the reason why we defended poorly yesterday being because we defended we attacked badly, uh, for example, and then talking about double pivots. Well, I'm sure Bielsa didn't come out and say, right, guys, we're going to play a double pivot and be a little bit more defensive. He will have said, well, we, you know, we have a we have a man marking system. So today, yeah, um, you're going to be marking Mason Mount, uh, Calvin Phillips, and um, Stuart Dallas. You're going to be marking Kai Havertz, or vice versa. I think it was vice versa in the end. 
Um, and as a result of that, we end up having to play pretty much as a double pivot. When we aren't maintaining the possession, it's because um, they have the possession or it means that they have the possession and then it means that our defensive system is going to look a lot more um, defensive than, than actually it might be if we re- were able to maintain our possession a little bit better. So it's, a lot of this is sort of um, counterfactual. It all, it all depends on one thing going right for us. And um, this really this game really struck me as being like the Manchester City game in that we struggled at first yeah. and it wasn't until we brought on Rodrigo that we were then able to control transi- transitions a little bit more and then we we started looking all right and the game went that way a little bit yesterday I thought um, we struggled at the beginning of the first of the second half and then once we brought Rodrigo on we actually had a bit more of an outlet we were able to create a little bit more and it caused them a few more problems and in fact the last goal that they scored came from us committing forward because we needed to try and get a goal and we just left too much space and I think you know there was a few there was a few takes going around on Twitter yesterday saying well you know Leeds were just over committing all the time I don't think that's true no I don't think that only happened in the last five five ten minutes of the game um and I think where 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 Lampard got us was in pressing well and um being really direct but I, I think we worry if we if we worry too much about defending I think we will lose a lot of edge from our attacking um which is fine, obviously, when you play against someone like Chelsea and you kind of expect to lose. But um, it's games like, I guess the Sheffield United game comes to mind, a game that feels as though we could have easily, that result could have easily been the other way around. Maybe the, uh, the Crystal Palace result as well is a good one. Um, just a game where, you know, if things go a little bit badly for you, then it starts looking really bad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 from that, I'm... I guess I'm quietly positive in the sense that, you know, yes, it's not going to work out against teams like Chelsea, but the important thing is is that if we get into any of those games where there are teams who are going to press high and um, and, and cause us problems, which I think Fulham did, to be fair, um, in the game that we played against them, um, it's important that we're able to transition and make sure that we can get stuff out of the game as well. I think the difference between, I mean, obviously the difference between yesterday and, and, and the Fulham game is that that uh, you know the kind of level of attacking talent that Chelsea have got on display, but I think the other thing is that against against Fulham, it was a it was a kind of a twenty minute spell really where Fulham really put us under a lot of pressure, and then we were able to regain regain control. Whereas I, I didn't really feel at any stage yesterday that that we were had any sort of control of the game. I mean, even before we scored, Chelsea had already had re- two really good opportunities to score, and I I, I just felt that that. If if we were going to pull anything from the game yesterday at any stage, right from the first minute, we were going to need an enormous stroke of luck, which which just never was going to come to us. Just a couple of um, questions about uh, the stats that I thought we would get in first. So, firstly, from Johnny J, number of misplaced number of misplaced passes, please. Players were not connect- connecting at all well this evening. That's from Johnny J. Um, yeah, it's, this is an interesting one because I think we always get questions like this when we get when we struggle to transition and we struggle to possess the ball. And when you actually look at it, the, there's really not that much of a difference between um, what we do when we play well and what we do when we play badly. So yesterday there was 108 misplaced passes at a pass completion rate of 79.7%. Um, that's versus a season average of 112 misplaced passes. Um, so obviously that's more um, at 80.4% completion rate. So obviously we usually make more attempted passes um we made fewer attempted passes uh, yesterday but we misplaced fewer of them um so the the season average again so 532 attempted passes yesterday versus a season season average of 571 
Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where I think it's easy to try and look at passes and say, you know, uh, stats and say, well, you know, here we are, we've made all of these mistakes. It's obvious it's going to show up in the stats in in a really um in a really clear way. And it the 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 point is is and this is again why I'm I'm labouring the issue about um um about things being dependent on other things is that you know we made we made a lot of passes for example in the second half if you look at our pass map we made loads of passes because we were passing it around our defense because we couldn't even get it out of our own half that's going to ramp up your pass um, completion rates and also ramp up your number of passes made but it doesn't necessarily translate into um into being a particularly useful statistic and so um and then, for example, if we're playing against teams like we did against Everton last week, where we passed it around a couple of times and then just used uh, Calvin Phillips to um, cross-field pass the ball into advanced areas quickly, you're making far fewer passes, but you're actually getting the ball into more dangerous areas quicker. So um, it's easy to read too much into the statistics, I think, um, or at least it's easy to read too much into the statistics without the context of what's um, going on behind them. Yeah, absolutely, because it's easy to say that we, we turned the, the ball over a lot and, you know, it seems we turned it over about the same as normal, but but where did we turn it over, and in what, what was the circumstances in which that happened, and and what was the outcome of it? I think that those are the things that we need to look at. And yesterday we gave the ball away in more dangerous areas. It's, I think it's as simple as that. They pressed us really well in high areas, which yep. meant that we there was a few chances they should have really taken yep. um, much better than they did, given the the ease with which we turned the ball over, and and they didn't. So, again, you know, we can compl- complain all about whatever we want to complain about. We can complain about a lot of their um, dangerous chances coming from set pieces, but there was a lot of dangerous chances they had that didn't really translate into much more uh, dangerous uh, shots than they actually were as well. Um, in light of that, Daniel Moroni said, what was the non-set-piece non XG against? Please assuage my fears about the defence. So at, no, at much personal expense and cost, I went through and matched up um, the the basically the shot menu from um, FB Ref. They set out all of the shots that are taken, but they don't give you the XG from each of them. And then I had to match it up against the InfoGoal radar. Um, and what I found out was that in total, open play XG was 2.88 um, out of a I guess they had it at, at nearly five. So most yeah. of the chances did come through open play, um, but a lot of chances did come through set pieces as well. Um, I mean, take from that what you want. Um, I'm not taking a huge amount from it. I thought we were really weak from set pieces, um, and I think we we didn't create anything from set pieces either. Um, that's clearly something that we need to worry about, but we'll talk about the set pieces later on. Um, needless to say, even... If we didn't concede from set pieces, I still think we conceded enough chances for us to deserve to lose quite deservedly. Absolutely. Deserve to lose quite deservedly. We deserve <laughs> to lose. <laughs> it's been a long uh, few days. Anyway, uh, one final question before we start getting into the nuts and bolts. Um, Brolin ate the pies said, is there anything Bielsa could have done differently that would have materially affected the outcome? And this is, I think, a really interesting question. So Tom Alderson, do you think there's anything Bielsa could have done to materially affect the outcome? I think we've said already, I think we probably would have preferred Rodrigo from the start. And then the other one for me, which I think we'll talk about later as well, was I didn't really like the Perfade substitution. Um, I just didn't think he was the right player for the situation that we were in at that time. I think Costa was probably the um, the correct player because of just the the way the game was going, it doesn't suit Perfade. It was like tight spaces, but not uh, not around the box. It was in like his own half. It's areas where Costa really excels. So yeah, that that that's the only other thing that comes to mind for me 
that Bielsa could have done differently. But again, I think bringing Costa on, we're not going to draw the game or even win the game. So there are, yeah, there are things, but yeah, not not that alter the result for me. It's an interesting tactical question as well, I think, insofar as like you could ask, answer this question well you know the best way of playing everyone knows the best way of playing Chelsea is to sit deep and hit them on the counter yeah. um could we have done that well yes but we would be playing an entirely different tactic to what we usually play right and yeah. I'm not sure that would necessarily work so did you have any thoughts on that Tom I think if we uh if we sit deep then I just we probably lose worse than we did to be honest <laughs> because yeah. we don't know how to do it and do we even have the players for it? I'm not. I'm not sure. So yeah, that I would never want Bielsa to go that way to try and get a result somewhere. It probably works less than what um, playing the normal way does, and it's boring. It's really boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've talked a lot about defending deep being Bielsa's kryptonite, but I actually do think that this sort of style of play is is also kryptonite for for Bielsa. Is sort of any team that's going to have man for man better players um, across the park and and also a, a decent high pressing uh, style of play um between those two things i think we'll we'll always struggle against sides like that so um I, I, again i think it, it's painful to say it but you just have to accept that teams like like chelsea are going to cause us problems playing like that and um and that's just the way that it is right right let's talk about the first half then um I guess the interesting thing that happened in the first half was the the most important thing that happened in the first half was uh, Koch going down in the fourth minute or whenever it was that he went down and we switched him over for Llorente. So Nikhil Faki says, should we have shifted Ailing inside when Koch had to go off rather than throwing Llorente in the deep end? And we had lots and lots of questions about uh, Llorente. Here's an example. Brian Williams said, how did you rate Llorente? Very one-footed and looked uncomfortable when pressed. Alongside Cooper, I would worry about a lack of pace. So let's talk about the Llorente debut you um Darren what did you make of it I, I think it's really hard to to judge him to be honest I, I don't I don't think it would be fair to judge him on on that performance because quite very often he and Cooper were left exposed with with people running running at them and running off them and um I think that he he struggled he definitely struggled with that um but I but I also think Cock would have also struggled in you know had the get had the game gone on with him on the pitch. Um, I thought he looked a bit ponderous in possession at times, where where you know maybe there was an, a pass on and he kind of circled and there was a bit of yeah kind of dilly dallying. I think he put in a couple of good tackles. Um, I think one of which caused the bizarre Chelsea fan reaction. Um, but yeah, I. I I think I, I really do think it's it's hard to judge him on that kind of performance. But what I will say is that I wasn't hugely bowled over by what he did in the game. How about you, Tom? I thought he did all right. Like he, I won't because Bielsa said he needs a few under twenty three games. So if he's is he match fit? So that's I think for for the situation being thrown in away at Chelsea, I think he did as well as he probably could. Um, I do agree with Brian. I think he did look uh, one footed. Uh, so the calls for him to replace Cooper, I think I wouldn't want a right-footed centre-back who doesn't like the use of his left foot playing on the left-hand side of the defence. I thought he lost his marker a couple of times a bit too easily in in, in, in really key situations. It was a the first goal. He, he, he was I at fault for the first, first goal. goal. Yeah, he was. He was definitely at fault for the first goal. And then there were a couple of times. And the, second, the third goal, to be yeah, fair. the third the third goal and. The, and and there were another few times from dead balls where I thought Giroud just um, shrugged him off too easily and managed to get in front of him. So, yeah, I, th- I think from kind of, you know, in terms of like defending fundamentals, I was a bit disappointed. 
it's really tough, like you say, to judge on the back of one performance, and we and we won't um, necessarily be doing that. But no. I'm interested in the 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 Robin Koch going off thing. As, I mean, obviously, obviously, we people knew that Koch was struggling with some kind of injury, which is why there was all these rumours that he wasn't going to be playing. He obviously starts, and very early on in the game, just watching it back, you can see him actually limping around a little bit. So um, you can see very very early on, I was sort of it was obvious that he wasn't going to do the whole game. Yeah, I think he got injured um, after, after the, the shot that Melier saved with his legs. Um, Giroud got a header from a corner and I think Cork went down under him uh, from that chance and I think that's where he picked up the, yeah. the knock. I'm interested to have seen how Cork would have played in that game, actually. I felt as though Llorente was really poor in the build-up, um, mm. which... I'm again. I'm not convinced that that Koch is a great build-up player either, but I think he might have been better. Um, so I wonder whether or not we might have struggled slightly less in the build-up without having lost Koch. That's just um, that's just a pure speculation from me. Um, obviously, with the added caveat that you've had, Darren, which is you know it's just really hard to to rate someone like Urente off the back of that performance. But um, I've. I've always been a little bit low on Urente, having mm. spent a lot of time scouting him before he came in, and I did a few um, analysis pieces on him as well. Um, yeah, look, I think he's fine as a backup defender. Um, he's not someone that I would want starting every week, but here we are, <laughs> and um, you know it could be the case that he is starting for the next few weeks. Anyway, I don't want to be miserable particularly, so <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's move on in the second half. As you've already mentioned, Tom, uh, there's questions about uh, Jan Perveda coming on. Tom Woodhead asks, I love Jan, but this didn't feel like the kind of environment he thrives in. There were tight spaces, but they were not in dangerous areas. Would Costa have been a better option? Um, Tom Alderson, let's go with you, because you've already suggested that you would agree with Tom Tom Woodhead's opinion here. Yeah, um, it's like I said before, I just think he, he suits, Perveda suits being around the box he, he works well in tight spaces but I wouldn't want him doing that in our own half um, whereas Costa has proven that he's good in those situations and he can um, dribble with the ball when like, like beat, beat a man dribble with the ball and then um, carry it forward into Chelsea's half and I think that probably would have helped us um, in well probably the, the whole the whole game but the second half when he would have come on um, to sort of just because we could like the second half we couldn't get the ball into their half at all so if we just had another outlet someone that can get the ball through it would have helped I think how about you Darren what's your your yeah, take on this I, I can kind of I can hear what hear what you're saying but I, I think it's instructive that that Perveda did provide one of the I think two only two decent moments in the second half when he kind of got the ball in the corner of the box and could have gone down for the penalty and ended up kind of hitting a, a shot which didn't really trouble the keeper but I, I can sort of see what you're saying I, I, I thought that um, I thought at half time I have to say I thought Perveda was the right substitution to make um, because because I felt that he he would um, provide more than Harrison had in the first half in terms of being able to, to beat his man and to kind of maybe uh, you know play people in and and, and, and and do do the stuff that we expect him to do, but I, I think I think what happened is that in the second half Chelsea kind of really flooded the wings in the way that you talked about earlier, yeah. John. And I I kind of think it it was sort of it would have probably been irrelevant who who ended up coming on t- to pick up that role. To be honest, I don't think Costa would have had any more impact than Pervade did because just because of the the way that Chelsea defended down down the sides. I think as well, you know, Rafinha didn't have the greatest of games either yesterday. So, um, no, it's, it, it is again. I would 
put that down to the fact that Chelsea pressed well in advanced wide areas for Leeds, um, and yeah, they caused us caused us a lot of problems. So uh, yeah, you know, take it as it comes. I I would tend to agree that Costa maybe feels like a little bit more of a transitional player in that sense, whereas with with Paveda, I'm I'm more of the opinion that he's one of those players who you want against a deep block who maybe can fashion something against um, sort of getting one on one against certain against against certain wide players and, and then maybe fashioning enough space for him to get the cross in um, I thought he created some okay chances and I think you know Rodrigo did as well but um, and look it, it could easily have, like if that if that penalty gets given that penalty gets given and it could be 2-2 um, obviously Chelsea would probably have thrown the kitchen sink after that but it was it was you know anything can happen in football and that's why that's why it's such a frustrating sport right it's um, you know Chelsea have a really front-loaded squad with some of the best players in the world in them. Um, they they are more likely to beat us, but you know there's there's the option that you we saw it with Man City as well, right? We 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 could have potentially won that game. Um, football is just very variable, and um, anything can happen. But I'm not. I, I hear what you're saying in terms of you know. I don't think there's a silver bullet solution to the game yesterday. I don't think, well, if Bielsa had done this and this and this, then magically we would have out-tacticked Frank Lampard. It's it's more complex than that, right? It's more, there's a, you play a certain style of football because you have to choose a style of football to play and then you play it to the best of your ability. And sometimes you're going to come up against a team that, that really struggles against, or you really struggle against, and, that, and that's that. There's the, the famous meme by... Thiago Stevam, um, the the Portuguese uh, scout who with the the rock paper scissors thing, and it's um, Guardiola, Klopp, and and Sean Dyche, uh, and you know one of them beats you know like a high press beats a certain uh, a certain thing, positional play beats Sean Dyche's uh, deep lying block uh, and counter attack, and the, the deep lying block counter attack causes problems for Klopp's um, you know more uh, pressing style of play. So that's just the way that it is. Um, Anyway, I, I feel like I'm ra- rambling. A little no, no, bit. I, I just wanted to say that that I think I think not that I think it would have made a material difference in the game because I think Chelsea's elite players playing as well as they did yesterday would have seen them win the game irrespective of what happened. But I do think that we we didn't do some of the things that we normally do, which kind of close gaps in quality which is you know kind of just simple things like pressing and making and being diligent about making sure that we were on our man so we 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 didn't press as effectively as we could have done uh, in their half and that meant that kind of at times silver had all the room in the world to stroll into and pick his pass and there were other t- other times like for the first goal for example Harrison's got absolutely no idea where Reese James is and 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 completely loses him and that that ends up why we conceded in the first goal. So there, there were some really simple things which we normally do well, which we didn't do well. And I think that's more to do with, you know, kind of how many chances Chelsea made rather than kind of tactical considerations, personally. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, let's talk about some other things. We had a question from Lawrence Murphy saying, what's the hesitancy around getting Rodrigo back into the starting 11? Fitness or something different, he makes a positive impact whenever he is on the field, in my opinion. Um, that's an angle that we haven't really covered. Why do we think that Rodrigo isn't being played, Darren? Uh, just because of the two decent performances. I, I really do think because we, we played well against Everton with Alioski and Dallas in the side and they do give us a little bit more tactical flexibility perhaps and Rodrigo does, but I completely... Um, agree with Lawrence he he needs to come back into the starting lineup as soon as possible because we we look much much less functional in in terms of our attacking play without him this was an interesting question from Tom Kenny. Have we purposefully started slowing down play when the counter-attack seems on? I noticed this after the 2-4-1 defeats. It's like we're trying to figure out a way of getting back the level of control we used to have in games last season and trying to stop getting exposed so much. Um, Tom Alderson, what's your take on this? Because I feel I feel like we've as long as we've been covering Bielsa, there's been loads of fans who think that we need to f- attack quicker. Um, our counter-attacks need to be quicker and quicker and quicker. And I don't think we've ever really been particularly quick on the counter-attack until this season when I think we've had to be quicker because we haven't been able to possess the ball quite so well. So I don't, again, I don't think that I don't think that pos- transitioning quickly is necessarily good if it means that you're constantly just hammering the ball forward and then losing it and then having to regain possession and then move the ball forward. And then you know, we've said before, we, before in previous seasons, Bielsa is just really risk averse when it comes to possession. He would much rather, I think, keep possession of the ball than, than attempt to really risk it until, until you're in the final third. But when it comes to the, 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 the other two thirds, he's much happier with teams, his team taking the time to keep ball under possession and work it into that area rather than losing it and having to win the possession back and then starting the process all over again. So what's your take on that question? I think the reason we were mainly a lot yesterday was like passing it sideways is um and the other two defeats with the quality of the opposition and the improve that like they compress really well. So it's not we're not passing sideways out of choice. It's, we're passing sideways because there's sometimes not options on to pass forwards because of the quality of the other teams pressing. Um and I agree, agree with you as well. Like we've never really counter-attacked quickly. I think we're all just sort of um, going back to those games against like Reading this time last year, and I think was it I can't remember the game after where there was like two counter-attack goals back to back, which were really fast breaks. And apart from that, I can't think of another example apart from maybe Hull. So yeah, it's just it's just I think it's just a feature of Bielsa's play, but also the improved defending from teams in the Premier League. Uh, another thing that happened yesterday that we saw happen versus Everton was just swapping the wingers over. Um, I think it was slightly different in the Everton game, obviously, because we were technically swapping a winger with a centre forward or a second striker or something, technically. Whereas yesterday was just a straight swap from left wing to right wing. Um, Alistair LW says, given even given your analysis of the reasons for the Rafinha-Harrison swap versus Everton, do we lose too much of Rafinha's impact when he plays from the left? Um, Darren, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that when Rafinha plays from the right, he's he's 
he seems to be able to impact the game much more easily, kind of drifts into the half spaces. He's always looking for intelligent um, diagonal passes. Um, he's always trying to manipulate space. He's always trying to pull people towards him. And, and it seems that when he when he plays on the left, he just kind of, he, I don't know whether it's team instructions or whether it's just because he's left less comfortable out there, but he seems to, to sort of cling more to the touchline and, and, and be looking to beat his fullback and get a crossing and, and, and he, he didn't really seem able to do that particularly often yesterday although I think he really struggled to get into the game at all when he was playing in the, on the left yesterday for reasons we've already talked about. What about you, um, Tom Alderson? What's your take on this? Because obviously, obviously, the combination of, of Rafinha and, and Alioski was just heart-stoppingly terrifying at times. Um, do we do we always think that Bielsa does that for defensive reasons, or do we think there's attacking there's an attacking impetus behind it as well? It doesn't strike me as one for defensive reasons because you can't. We always tend to think of Harrison as the defensive winger, um, and considering how battered we were getting down our left hand side to then move Harrison across to the right that just did not make sense to me at all um, so you'd think it's for attacking reasons but I prefer Harrison attacking on the left I prefer Rafinha on the right um, so I'm I'm not too sure to be honest what, what the reason is behind it apart from maybe just to, for something different yeah, I wondered whether he put Harrison over there to try and um, deal with Silver a bit more, who was stepping out into their kind of left half space quite often. If if that if that was the reason, it didn't really work. But yeah. but I I did think that might have been part of the reasoning for it. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, having rewatched the game, like it's remarkable how much both of their centre backs pushed into space. They worked the ball around well and just gave gave their centre backs space to run into. And and you know that's the. The point at which you start causing problems for Leeds as soon as your their front press is beaten, then it's not it's not even that you've beaten the press. It's more that their man marking system is they're now all out of whack, and everyone has to suddenly shift around and help each other out, and then suddenly you end up with players who are free. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically that's what happened actually. I think for the first goal, in that you ended up with Harrison dropping in to try and help out um, defend uh, against. I guess it would have been Ziyech, and um, and then. Um, Reese James gets the run on him down the outside and yeah that's that's the ball in um Jacob Stanbridge said particularly in the first half it seemed that Bamford wasn't always pressing the centre-backs but also dropping to cover one side of Kante with click the other I don't remember this happening so much in other games but I'm I'm assuming it wasn't just my recency bias how come um the front pressing is interesting. It's, this felt like some of the front pressing that we saw early on with R- Rodrigo and um, and Bamford that didn't really work. And it seems as though they sort of concertina rather than having um, rather than having two on three as usual. It seems as though we're using this sort of front press where we re- relay between one side and the other rather than Bamford having to cover the f- the whole of the back line. Um, what the, there's, it's almost like the, the central midfielder is a sort of switching point. So one player will push on the right. And then when the ball goes over to the left, they'll drop back onto the central midfielder and the player who's on the central midfielder will drop over to the left. It's almost like a staging post between the two of them. We saw it a bit with, with Rodrigo this this um, in earlier games this season. And I think we're trying to use that system and I don't know if it's working quite so well. I felt yesterday the front press looked really, really... I don't know if um, it, the players looked leggy, but it, it, it felt like there was really no pressure on the on the centre-backs. I think they pushed their centre-backs really wide as well. Um, so there was just a lot of areas to cover and uh, that worked out quite well too. Um, any other thoughts on the on the forward press? I just wondered if we... I, can't, I couldn't... And I haven't watched the game again, so you'd probably tell this better than me, but if we... Because once, once they broke our first first line of press, we just... They absolutely looked like they were going to score every time for me. 
So I wondered if we were pressing less because we were so worried about them breaking the press, which obviously then made the whole thing worse. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was that or we just it was, we made a conscious effort uh, from the start of the game not to, not to press. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that you know as soon as as soon as you are able to move your move the ball around, get your centre backs with space in front of them, and then get them to drive into that, you start losing a little bit of faith in your press and. Um, if it doesn't work, then you sort of question whether or not you're doing the right thing. And then as soon as that hesitancy creeps in, then, you know, you, you, you sort of lose it. So um, no doubt Bielsa will be, will be looking through, back through the tapes and trying to work out how to avoid that. But um, it's a problem that we've had before. You know, we, we had that problem against Swansea City in the championship as well, um, when Mike van der Horn in particular was was driving into space. And, uh, and as soon as you do that, you cause Calvin Phillips or Mateus Click to pull over lose their player and then suddenly someone else has to cover their player and then you just start this whole concertina of effects that that um, leads to defensive frailties appearing on the field. And it's a bit different when you're leaving Mason Mount and uh, <laughs> and Pulisic and, and, and those players with space to run into, isn't it, than, than yeah. a lot of the standard of play we faced in the championship. Yeah, exactly. An interesting question as well about the 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 press was uh, from Adam Walker, who said, "How come the cover from our midfield for Alioski is nowhere near as good as the cover Ailing gets?" Um, and this is something I've included because I hadn't really thought about it before. Um, but I reckon there could be some kind of truth in it. We know that that um, Dallas often u- is often used as a cover in that um, in that right hand side, and I think my hesitant answer to this would be that um, that Dallas is being used as um, Build up help so that Ali, so that Ailing can get forward. Whereas with Alioski, um, you know, we we're, we're using him very much as sort of someone who's going to go and play as a support player for the wide left player. Um, so it just so happens that when when the ball gets turned over, there's going to be more players over on the right because we build up more on the right, and as a result of that, Ailing gets a little bit more um, cover, which I think is interesting actually because we think of Ailing as being a really strong defender and we think of Alioski as being not that strong in terms of uh, defensive cover but it could well be that it's just um, a byproduct of the system that we play right the time has come we need to talk about corners um, Jackie Buckets asked why are we still so bad at corners I'm surprised Bielsa hasn't managed to figure something out we're not the tallest team that's fair but we're also not that small and it seems more like simple things such as players losing their man so corners what's our take on corners Darren I think if you've got intelligent movement um, from from the attacking team, and if you've got players who uh, in the attacking team who understand that their job is to block our defenders off and not attack the ball, then I think with a man marking system, you're always going to be vulnerable to players attacking the ball as someone like Giroud will. Um, I think that they their delivery was very good yesterday, and that's not 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 always the case with a lot of the teams we face. Their delivery was excellent, and and they had a very kind of clear focal point for their for their um for their corners um i think we, you know we we talked I, th- I remember that the, the uh, patreon podcast about about our set pieces where where i can't remember the the guy's name who did that but i thought it was very good where he taught where he was very strongly advocating for leads to go to a more mixed model of of um zonal and and man-to-man marking and i think that does make a lot of sense um this guy commentator said that we do that yesterday and we all know that that's not actually true the only zonal play we tend to have is is patrick bamford near the front post um and I, th- I think they just exploited our our man marking system really intelligently with good delivery and, and and good attackers yesterday. Again, that would be my sort of take on it that Bielsa has made a stylistic decision about the sorts of players that he wants in his team, and the result of that is that we're going to have players who aren't as good in the air. And um, 
add to that the fact that you know we can talk all we like about the fact that we've bolstered our squad this summer but our squad is and I, I hopefully yesterday's game made that very obvious our squad is miles off um the 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 talent levels of of the best squads in the premier league yeah um what can you do about that? So you can either you can either bring in loads of tall defenders and tall midfielders and lose the flexibility that you get, and the ability to manipulate space that you get, or and and then probably end up dropping out of the league anyway. Or you can try and play the style of play that actually gives us a bit of an edge in this league. And I know which one I would rather do. Absolutely agree. Mm. Tom Alderson, do you have any thoughts on corners? For me, set pieces is like goalkeeping for you. I think it's just like another foreign language, <laughs> but. Yeah, I think the the one thing that I've seen mentioned a few times is like having men on post because that's not something we seem to do. And I always thought that was sort of like a bit of a basic that's actually prevented quite a lot of goals. Like it would have stopped Zuma's goal yesterday. Um, so I, I don't know if that's something that. Well, I don't know why we're not doing that or what the reasons for that are. But I thought with their their goal specifically, I just think it was Zuma just seemed to want it more. And I don't think even Cooper getting fouled, I don't think would have made a difference. Um, I think Zuma still would have got there and we still would have conceded. Wouldn't have still liked the foul though? Yeah. <laughs> um, right, there's a few questions about Cooper, inevitably. Nick says, how many mistakes does Cooper have to make before his fanboys notice he isn't the player they think he is? I think I think that's us. Yeah, is that's us. Is, is, is that us? <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think us. that must be. That must be. So, so the question is, how many mistakes must Cooper make before we notice he isn't the player we think he is? I, f- I think Cooper potentially might have had one of his best games in the lead shirt yesterday. Can I say that? <laughs> you can say what you like, mate. Um, I thought he was, this first half specifically, I thought he was really, really good. Um, and Darren said a few times, it looks like he's playing on the edge of his ability. But I, it was easily his best game of the season. So um, he, he can make, I don't know, I, I wouldn't drop him. I thought he was really good yesterday. I'm a bit confused. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm a bit bit confused about about us being dubbed fanboys. I don't know if he is dubbing us fanboys. Apologies, <laughs> Nick, if that's not your intention. Um, but because I, before before Bielsa came in, I I will honestly say I was the biggest critic of Liam Cooper in existence. And um, if he makes a mistake, I will call his mistakes out. And he made a couple yesterday, but every single member of the back four and the goalkeeper. And in the midfield, made mistakes yesterday. And look, I don't think he was any more culpable than anybody else in the team. And I, I agree with Tom. I, I thought he played. I thought he played well yesterday, by and large, given the circumstances he was under. And again, given that people were running at him all the time, given that people were running off him all the time, given that he was up against uh, attackers. And, and Giroud, Giroud's movement yesterday was was absolutely incredible. Yeah, I thought yeah. and re- really kind of gave, gave us a, a difficult time. So yeah, if he makes a mistake. I'll I'll absolutely say that he made a mistake, but I I don't think he was culpable for our defeat yesterday in any way. No. Nope. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the of the same opinion. I think he's fine. Um, I think Cooper knows his limits and he plays within those limits. I think that's what you're getting at when you talk about playing at the a sort of the level of visibility. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what that's what we need. <laughs> I I think a lot of people thought that he was to blame because the goal came down first goal came down the the left. She rentes, man. Yeah, I think Har- so too. The cross shouldn't yeah. have got in anyway. From so it's Harrison's fault, or Lorente's yeah, fault. It's right. definitely not Cooper's fault. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think Cooper. Um, and I have like I. I mean, I have a vested interest in being a fanboy because I wrote a piece about three years ago now saying that that Liam Cooper was a decent player and was probably the player that Bielsa had the biggest impact on. Look, I don't think I don't think Liam Cooper is the greatest defender of no. all time. Um, no. And I think the issue is is that often when you look at him. 
I, th- th- I think this is a general rule actually. When players who you players who look bad when you look at them are the players that a lot of fans will think are the worst players. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, being a defender isn't all about being doing the things where people are looking at you. Um, if that makes any sense. So there's a lot of off ball movement um, that has to be done in order to to be a good defender, and I think he's pretty good at that. Yeah. Um, under pressure, we've we've talked about how he can be a bit flaky. We know that he's not great at backwards defending. Um, we had a we had to, a whole season pretty much in um, eighteen nineteen where we we would see him just just look completely fragile if the ball was played in over his head and he was running back but we've we've sort of ironed out that from his game we've we've found ways of preventing that from happening and i think he's a pretty pretty good defender for us now and uh, i wouldn't wouldn't change him really um and i mean that said he's old he probably will stop playing in the next couple of seasons but we've got pascal strauch to come in as well yeah so. strauch will take that play. I mean, and and the next question from Tolliday says you know if cock cooper and urente were all fit what would be the best center back partnership um why stroke should be in that because he he's definitely in that equation for me i i think i think that either next season or the season after he will take cooper's starting berth and quite rightly so yeah i mean if pushed i would probably say that our center back best center back pairing would be cock and stroke but um i accept that other views are available but i have absolutely no problem playing cooper there for now he's our club captain he's earned the right to play there and i th- i don't think he's done anything that suggests he couldn't there's only one mistake that i really think of and that's the manchester city goal that's that's it and that was him come that was his first premier league appearance if i recall correctly um for Leeds not not obviously overall but it was like his there was it was his first game back in the premier league after a long time and i think i thought he was fine um yeah anyone anyone want to add to the the center back partnership that you would take i i've i've gone with cock and strauch but obviously i'm biased in that regard i'd probably go cock and cooper but yeah i think it's not long before it, i think cock and strauch could be the answer to that question i i think yeah i i 100% i think at the moment it is cock and cooper but i wouldn't be surprised because we know what cooper's injury record is like if by the end of the season it was it was cock and strauch Right, let's end on some positives. I think if there ever was a podcast that needed to end on some positives, it was probably this one. Uh, I haven't writ- written anything down and I'm struggling to think of anything positive. So I'm, I'm going to hand over to you two and hope that you jog in my memory something good from the game yesterday, which I really didn't enjoy, to be honest. Well, I've, I've got Melier played quite well. Mm. Quite well? So, quite yeah, well. <laughs> so, someone should have mentioned that Melier is quite good because no, no one seems to be picking up on it. So we've let, yeah, we definitely let ourselves down there. Um, Liam Cooper was... Very good. Um, so, yeah, he's got a lot more mistakes to make before the fanboys notice that he's not very good. <laughs> uh, and then Patrick Bamford, because we actually we scored, unbelievably, if anyone forgot, because before, um, before conceding three goals. So, yeah, I thought Bamford's finish was really good and Phillips' um, pass before it was very good as well. So, yeah, those are my three positives. Yeah, Darren, I think it's it's probably about time that you actually step down from your hatred of Melier and just admit no, that he's a good player to be honest yeah, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, wondering how long it's going to take before you do that how many great point blank saves does he have to make before you accept that he is actually a good keeper at least one more <laughs> <laughs> um I've only got one positive to add to what Tom said and that is that we don't have to play against N'Golo Conte every week because he was absolutely incredible <laughs> yesterday <laughs> Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was very good. But look, he's one of the best players in the world, and always yeah. goes under the radar. And I, I think there's probably people as well who, for whom he will have gone under the radar yesterday. But um, I'm happy to include that. Um, and in the course of discussing our positives, I still haven't thought of any other positives that haven't been discussed. So I apologise for that, and I will only be able to promise that I'll do better in future. 
Right, looking forwards from here, we have a game against West Ham on Friday evening. It seems like the games are going to start coming thick and fast from here on in. Um, I believe after the West Ham game, we, we're starting to move into a game every few days territory over Christmas. So uh, gird your loins and, and get ready for it. It's, <laughs> it's coming for us. Um, it'll be fine for you guys. You guys get to just watch it and enjoy it and then hear us torture ourselves in discussions afterwards but you know it's going to become a very busy period for us doing a lot of the preview stuff and uh the post-match video analysis stuff as well so uh, keep us in your keep us in your minds over christmas um as i mentioned we've got west ham on friday evening but there is an under 23s game on sunday the 13th penciled in i haven't checked the um the actual uh the starting um date for that because they do change with quite uh, regular um occurrences so do do check that out yourself but there is a game against Villa for the under 23s coming up soon enough um and with that we arrive at the end of the podcast if you like our content um maybe maybe liking our content at the moment is isn't isn't a big thing when we've we've uh, lost a game but if you do want to get more of our content as i've already mentioned we do do other things we do video analyses we have a bonus uh, patreon uh, episode we've just done a really fun episode um looking at the I guess building a squad from the four strongest uh, eras of Leeds United and, and trying to work out how you'd fit all those into a team as well. Um, we've put all of those up for patrons who subscribe to us over on Patreon. If you go to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we, you'll find that over there. And there's loads of bonus um, content up there that are only available to our patrons, so do check that out. Three people who've done that this week are Andrew L., George Fairbrother and Ole Hagen. And... Here we are at the end of the podcast. It's been a slog, but we've made it. Um, West Ham is going to be a tough game, but really hopefully, is. hopefully we um, we give a good account of ourselves and maybe come away with something so that we can have a cheerful <laughs> episode next time around. We will be back <laughs> midweek with a preview of that game, so uh, keep an eye out for that. All there is for me to do, though, is to say thank you to Darren. <laughs> and thank you Tom thank you very much I appreciate that you didn't do the same noise that Darren did so thank you <laughs> I don't think I can make that noise to be honest <laughs> anyway we'll be back in a couple of days time so have a good one Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.